Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings and other times giving ourselves to wash the... Uh, Giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. David, there will be a day where I get through that without a flub. You, you did it yesterday. My name... Oh, shut up. <laughs> My name is Joe Hilliard. Of course, I'm joined with... Dave Gurney. And I am super pleased to have on Beer in a Movie for the first time. Not the last, David. I'm just going to go ahead and say that right now. I hope not the last. My One of my best friends. I've known this guy since first grade. He and I... Had a lot of movie adventures, a lot of movie writing adventures together, which maybe we can talk about in After Hours. Sean McLean. Hi, everybody. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. It is our pleasure. David, deja vu. Yeah, we, we should probably, right at the top, uh, explain why, you know, like, oh, you got it right yesterday, Joe. We had the unfortunate experience of actually recording this entire episode. It was the best episode we'd ever done. It was pretty much the tightest, most consistent, most incisive. Hilarious. Criticism. Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll toot our own horns on this one. Anyhow, we, we did the work, and then lo and behold, after we ended, we were recording on Zoom, as, as we often do. I probably shouldn't announce their name on the, I don't know, whatever. But we were recording on this video conferencing software that sadly did not actually capture the recording it said it was capturing for us. So we're back. We're back into the depth. So Sean was gracious enough to agree to join us again to recreate the magic that we already created once. Uh, but, but I think, as Joe has said, this, we can maybe think of it as the dress rehearsal yeah. for um, the, the wonderful performance that you're going to bear witness to with this actual episode. Well, do you want to get some beer in our glasses? Not this time, because we did that yesterday. <laughs> and I don't have the beer anymore. Yeah, but let's go ahead and, and yeah. tell the listeners what it is that we wanted to drink I was up in San, with our film. I was up in San Antonio at the Trader Joe's. Uh, we don't have a Trader Joe's where we live. And I saw, you know the two-buck chuck wine that they've got? It's, it's a bottle of red wine, right. but instead of $15 a bottle, it's like $3, $4 a bottle. Yes. And some people believe, hey, this is just a fine wine. Uh, they do that with beer, too. The beer that is sold at Trader Joe's is by Campanology Brewing. Now, Campanology Brewing is the figurehead name, but it's really brewed for Trader Joe's. <clears throat> and there's a lot of other grocery chains and box store chains that do the same thing by Octopi Brewing. Uh, Campanology Brewing is out of Wisconsin, Wenaki, Wisconsin. And I was at Trader Joe's, and for $3.99, I picked up a bomber, 9% ABV, of their coffee peanut cup, coffee peanut butter cup porter. Um, and we cracked that open yesterday. Yes. I recall it being very, very much uh, advertised truthfully. It smelled like a peanut butter cup in a glass. It was very, very... W with that coffee as well. Yeah, that yeah, nose no, you, was there. Absolutely. We were impressed with the aroma. Mm -hmm. it, it was definitely living up to all of that name. And, uh, and in appearance, yes, it was nice and dark, like you want a porter to be. So we, yeah. we were excited for it and, uh, and happy to have that in our glasses. And Sean my, had something dark. I was quickly oh, say ahead. my connection to the film that we're about to right. discuss was the idea that it's a beer, but it's an, a cheap beer. And it's not an imitation of beer. It's just it's not quite the real beer. Yeah, it's you follow a, it, what I'm it's saying? It's like a cheap uh, takeoff, a, a parody of sorts, maybe, of beer. Oh, very nice. But I want that to be the end of it because I'm not sure if I feel that this 
film was a cheap anything. So we'll see what happens. Right. Sean, you were saying you were going to go pick up this beer at the Trader Joe's up in Houston where you live. What happened? It was sold out, and I selected something that seemed comparable. Uh, it was the Chocolate Bobka Stout, uh, 10% ABV. So um, I'd say probably based on your descriptions of the coffee peanut butter cup, kind of a similar profile. Um, very, It's very sweet, It and it's advertised as such. It, it says it's a pairs well with dessert or even actually on top of ice cream, which I didn't have it that way, but, um, uh, it's a little on the sweet side for me, but, but still enjoyable being in a bomber. It's probably something too, in the future, if I had it, I'd probably split it with somebody, not because, not because of the ABV, but just the, the sweetness to yeah, it. kind of like the way you split a dessert, right. uh, when you go to a restaurant, most high sugar beers can be kind of cloying after you've had several sips of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, Joe, I, th- I think the pairing that you had attempted was uh, a good one, well-intentioned, though, as you said, maybe the, the only problem there being that uh, if we think of these as, as cheap imitations or somehow lesser than, then maybe we're, we're doing a disservice to the subject of the film that we're taking on because the film that we're going to be talking about in the first half of the episode is the very new release. It was just uh, uh, put out through Roku on uh, Friday, November, wait, Friday, November 4th, 4th thank you. Um, this is Weird, colon, The Al Yankovic Story, uh, a film that I had been looking forward to, one that I was happy that we could agree to do for the podcast, because I myself am a very big Weird Al Yankovic fan, and, and this purported to be a, a sort of biopic for him. Though, you know, true to his his fame and notoriety mm. as a parodist, as somebody who sort of takes songs that are well-known in popular culture already and sort of refashions them, brings new lyrics to them, maybe adds different instrumentation. Um, when did your Weird Al journey start? Uh, it started young. It was early. Uh, and, and I think uh, it was probably the you know early MTV stuff. I remember seeing the video for Ricky, which was the I Love Lucy. Right. Uh, lyrics put into Mickey. the Tony Basil Mickey song, mm. which was very popular in the early 80s. Uh, so, so that's a standout. And then certainly uh, Eat It and, and many other, you know, his video work in the 80s was, was really kind of unparalleled, especially yeah, I think- his recreations of, of these uh, various videos like the, without MTV he wouldn't have been as big as he was I don't think so I mean he he had already gotten some notoriety on radio with his uh, you know especially through his relationship with Dr. Demento which is captured in this film in a in a sort of silly way but l- let me just say um, you know this purports to be a biopic of Al and his beginnings and mm-hmm. how he got to where he got and how far that went but all of it is fictionalized very heavily um, more so than a typical biopic, though I think that's probably part of what they're poking fun at there, is that we're always being a little bit fast and loose with the details right. what, when we're putting together the you know musician, the artist's life story. But all the details are there. The overbearing father, the <laughs> uh, quick rise uh, to fame, the trepidations of fame, the... Uh, the sexy relationship that right. derails his career, the drugs, the alcohol, exactly as you'd expect. Uh, right. Many of the beats of the typical musician biopic are there, even though they really aren't there in the life of Al Yankovic. Right. <laughs> if it, you know, he, he didn't have drug issues. He didn't have a father who was, uh, 
you know, dissuading him or, you know, or, or very uh, aggressively. Uh, Beating to death away. the accordion salesman <laughs> that brought him the original yeah. uh, accordion. Um, but, but nonetheless, we see this sort of skewed version of his life tale, which includes just enough actual uh, music that he created and figures who he did actually connect with, over, like Dr. Demento, like the guys in his band, mm-hmm. uh, like Madonna that um, he, he actually met and knew and, and had these relationships with, but exaggerates them, skews them, turns them into something else, and really turns it into a parody of the musical biopic. Right. Sean, what was your relationship with Weird Al? Uh, I remember the Cramps posters on the wall of your middle, middle school bedroom, but I, never, I don't recall a Eat It poster. <laughs> no, I, so I, I thought that I didn't have much of a relationship with uh weird al growing up but as i went back and listened whenever i I watch a uh, music biopic i always do a deep dive into the music uh that that is you know the the basis for it and i did that with uh weird al's music and you know just jumped on Spotify, started listening to all his back catalog, just kind of reacquaint myself with it after seeing the movie. And I was surprised that I knew the words to his in 3d album. And I don't mean just that's the one with eat it on it. It wasn't just, I knew the words to eat it, which was in heavy rotation, which everybody knows, but I knew all the songs. So I must have owned it. Um, I, and I probably would have been about 12 at that time. Mm -hmm. And probably, I don't know. I either, you know, decided to push it out of my memory to, you know, to try to be cool and start listening to The Cure and The Smiths <laughs> and, and Depeche Mode and things like that. But um, but what I found was I was more familiar with it than I thought with a lot of his stuff, um, you know, including uh, I just recalled the, uh, the he did some of the soundtrack work to the movie Johnny Dangerously, oh, yeah. which was. I don't remember it being a great movie, but I think it was an awesome movie to see when you're about 13. Uh, it, sure. It's that same kind of sense of humor, uh, very, you know, very zany, very uh, no. wacky right. kind of, and kind of bathroom humor. That, it was a parody that, of uh, of uh, mob films, right? Wasn't it, it was, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, very much like a gangster uh, rise to power type movie with, with Michael Keaton. Yeah. But, um, you know... I, I, I've come to really, he's someone that though, I, I feel like I know a, a lot about him, even though I wouldn't have called myself a, you know, uh, weird owl number one fan or anything. I, I appreciate, you know, his consistent output. He, he seems like a genuinely funny and nice person when I've seen him in interviews. Um, I, and he has a great reputation, I think, in both the comedy and music community. And, and you can kind of see that in the movie because there's many, many very brief cameos of people who, I, in my mind, they anything for Al Yankovic, I, I'll do it. I'll show up and be the MC for the punk club that the band plays at and yeah. gets balls thrown at them. You know, uh, Michael McKeon was uh, in that, you know, had two lines in the movie. You know? Right. Um, so, you know, I kind of, I feel like now I have kind of a latter day appreciation <laughs> for, for Weird Al that, that maybe I didn't, um, either didn't embrace properly when I was the right age. <laughs> <laughs> I embraced it 
full on. My folks, we've talked about it on the show several times, were pretty controlling of my pop culture uh, input for a period of time around early middle school. They they threw their hands up eventually, but for a while there, I I, I bought the new the first Weird Al album, hitting me right at age eleven or so. And I consumed it. The second one, the third one, I remember seeing UHF in the theaters. I, I took a date to that. I think it would have been a junior in high school for that. I had already kind of outgrown it, outgrown him, but I must have had some kind of soft spot, you know. Yeah. But like you just said, Sean, I, at some point around eighth or ninth grade, thought that's kid stuff, maybe. Like that's, that's beneath me but every time a new parody would come out even into Amish Paradise or the Nirvana one I always would pay attention because there's some nuggets in there that are truly truly funny I mean even if it's easy some people might say yeah he did it really well yeah I you know I I'm probably the the one of the three of us who maybe has the the greatest fondness for him if only because I do think I, I hit it at an earlier age you know you, mm -hmm. you're just a little bit older than me Joe mm -hmm. so I'll rub that in your face here it uh, doesn't, doesn't bother you, me yeah uh, but uh, you know as a whatever I would have been I guess about a five six year old kid hearing Ricky and eat it and seeing the videos and seeing him take over MTV periodically as Al TV and um, eventually the movie UHF the, the, all of those the, the 80s were dominated by Weird Al for yeah, me. Oh, big in, time. A, in a lot of ways. I mean, and, and before I really understood, I think, you know, popular music in general, I understood Al and his take on popular music. So for, for me, he's sort of a foundational figure in terms of my love of music and to some extent my love of comedy and video and filmmaking um, on many levels. So, so an important figure for me, and even if I did fall off a little bit, like once the 90s hit, just because I started getting to that age where I felt like, oh, I need to distinguish myself. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm into things that are, you know, more angsty and aggressive mm -hmm. and, and that, you know, um, that... What's this cannibal corpse? <laughs> <laughs> that I still was able to appreciate what Al was doing. Like, you, you know, some of those... Uh, hits of his that you mentioned, like Amish Paradise and Smells Like Nirvana, um, White and Nerdy, mm -hmm. you know, so some of these other songs that came along years and years later, right up until fairly recently when uh, his last full-length album, I guess before this soundtrack came out, which was called Mandatory Fun, and there was this big push for it to debut uh, very high on the Billboard oh, chart. Oh, okay. Get the fans thrilled up. Right. The fans wanted to see him finally get like a number one record on the, and I believe they did that. You know, so the, I remember watching the videos as they were coming out and being kind of excited for him. He took, uh, you know, Pharrell Williams happy and made it tacky, and uh, that's a pretty fun Sh Sean, when we asked you to do this episode with us and watch Weird as the your debut, if you will, were you excited, or was it kind of like, oh, whatever. It's, uh... <laughs> These guys are throwing me the well. I was excited to be on the show. I, I, I think you asked me in a text, uh, what are your feelings regarding the new Weird Al movie? And I said, I, I hadn't really given it much thought, to be honest. Um, and I, I saw the trailer, and I thought the trailer was very funny. I was a little bit apprehensive um, because it seemed like the trailer sort of captured the 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 crux of the joke which is he didn't have this crazy 
lifestyle. He did. He was not, you know, this madman spitting out Jack Daniels in the crowd and calling him uh, losers and things like that. I mean, he was, um, and I thought that might be kind of a one note joke. Yeah. So I wasn't sure how, it, it, you know, uh, it's kind of like when you see Saturday Night Live sketches and then they get made into a movie. It's like, okay, it's great for a three minute sketch. Will that be a, a 90 minute movie? Um, so I was a little bit, I wouldn't say like apprehensive about it. I just didn't know really, I, I'd say I had pretty reasonable expectations of what it would be, mm-hmm. uh, and hadn't done a lot of research prior on it. Um, but I'd say I was pleasantly surprised with the results. I, I liked it a lot more than I would have, uh, guessed, yeah. uh, that I would have. I, I think, uh, you, you, I, I hear where you're coming from, Sean, and, and, and I understand that. And I, and I think that, uh, that that's a very legitimate concern to have especially based on just the trailer right you don't know how they're going to be able to play this thing out over the length of a feature film right this started actually as sort of a very short uh you know parody yeah Tra- for film trailer funny or die yeah. right back in 2010 mm-hmm. aaron paul played weird al in that one right right and, then, and uh, madonna was olivia wilde Patton but... oswalt was dr demento in the movie he's played by rain wilson although you right. see Patton oswalt for a little cameo that's right. They right. still bring them in. Yeah. So, you, you know, can they go beyond this, like, kind of trailer yeah. thing and really kind of sustain it? Um, the trailer captures the irony, exactly like you said, Sean, in a three-minute clip. Can this be a 90-minute right. film? Right. Right. And, and I think, you know, what, what's what's great for me to, you know, report to our listeners is that I think it does it. it I do, it, too. It, it does it very well. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, part of it is, you know, you already alluded to, Sean, that he's somebody who has a lot of love amongst comedians and musicians and you know people wanted to show up and be part of this so there's some great scenes that are just you know chock full of these sort of cameos that nightclub scene that you were talking about earlier with Michael McKeon and we also see Patton Oswalt in the audience um the, there's this pool party scene that that's taking place at Dr. Demento's house uh, who's played by Rain Wilson and is, and is actually a significant character throughout the film. But then all these other sort of party guests are there, um, including Andy Warhol, who's being portrayed by Conan O'Brien, right. and Wolfman Jack, who's being played by Jack Black. and Who uh, I thought nailed the comedy of what he was doing there. Oh, absolutely. Wolfman Jack. Because Wolfman Jack, of course, in case you don't know, was a very popular DJ of... Ex- captured in American graffiti doing right. doing what he does. Right. So uh I, I'm imagining that they're like really spitballing, whiteboarding every idea who would be Dr. Demento's yeah. radio uh nemesis. How about Wolfman Jack? Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, Jack Black by the way said that he'd play Wolfman Jack. It's a done deal. <laughs> um but yeah those cameos were were Pee Wee Herman. Right. Like, all the quote unquote weird performers of right. the time period where Al was coming up. That's right. I thought it was genius, that yeah. little scene. The great, great scene, and and there's a fun moment where, like, you know, the the bassist for Queen shows up. And sure. <laughs> right. You have to remind the audience again and again. Right, it has to remind the people at the pool party. Uh-huh. <laughs> that like, oh, yeah, I'm in the band Queen. Uh, it, David Dalsmation, Dalsmation yeah. the, the guy who's in, uh, been in a bunch of films, but Prisoners. With, Polka Dot Man in... Um, there you go. Uh, kind of, the Suicide Squad. Yes, and- who's kind of a creepy uh, guy in general, but I think does this, in, you know, like sort of straight lace. Oh, well, let me just set the context for the scene. If you want to call yourself a parody rocker, then you need to do one to another one bites the dust. <sighs> and on the spot, which is not at all probably how the song was written. No, He, no. he does another one rides right. the bus right. and blows away the crowd. 
this guy's got the goods. Yeah, the, and th- that is a recurring thing where, like, the origins of these songs, like the My Bologna mm-hmm. uh, parody of My Sharona, you know, comes of him making sandwiches for his friends in the kitchen while they happen to turn on My Sharona on the radio, and it just happens to be a part that skips enough so that he has enough time to be, to but like, te- go over the chorus. Right. Te- but yeah. telegraphing the setup, hey, Al, if you're not doing anything, why don't you make us some sandwiches? Yes, exactly. right. You know? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of repetitive humor in it, which I actually kind of like where um, the joke about, and I can't, I'll butcher the line, but everybody said it in a slightly different way. It's like, what do you mean? You're going to take an existing song and then you're going to change the existing words and make it, make it a, a parody. The original, there was constantly that, yeah. uh, the way they described exactly what Weird Al does over and over again, uh, you know, in the record uh, company office, his parents, yeah. complain about the same thing. I sort of, um, it's almost kind of a, that repetitive uh, nature of it's almost kind of like a anti-comedy kind of thing yeah. that they kept drilling it in. And I also like the way it really played with the cliches of so many, uh, you know, rock and roll music uh, biopics. I mean, it, every song he comes up with is that, that moment, you know, where he observes a situation and then starts building the song out of it. And, and you, you see that in some movies where, uh, and I'm exaggerating this, but, you know, I think of like Walk the Line where, right. you know, somebody says a line or something like, why can't you ever walk the line? It's like, well, I will walk the line now. <laughs> write a song in Sun Studios on the, on the spot. You know, yeah. it's... Uh, never walked the line. You've never walked the line. Exactly. <laughs> so they really, they really played uh, on you know, on that kind of absurdity, you know, and the idea that he could just bust out and another one bites uh, or another one rides the bus uh, right there. And then at at a party, I also think it's interesting. I, I read that they, that, uh, you know, David Bowie and there's different people that appear at that party. If if you go back and watch the scene, Um, but now I can't remember his name, but the drummer for queen. And there's that moment where everybody goes, uh, he says what his name is, and everybody sort of looks quizzically yeah. at him, and is like, "We don't know." He's like, "Tremor for Queen," and like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> Originally, they wanted to have—I uh, think they wanted to have uh, somebody playing Freddie Mercury, but Queen as the band or the estate wouldn't. They said no, but you can have the drummer, which sounds kind of odd. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like he, it's fine. You can make fun of him, and he's like, "Wait a minute." Well, but I yeah. think it's funnier that way that nobody knows. Right, right. You know, nobody knows who he is. And the um, you know, when he when he says like uh uh I'm playing this little show, uh live aid, uh maybe you can join <laughs> yeah, for that. And then, of course he turns him down, but yeah. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Hard pass. Right. Um but no, I thought it was really it was really funny. There's a lot of little weird asides in it that I like. Um we talked offline a little bit about the recurring hey boy. Yeah, it's just just this thing that it's. I mean, we've seen the teenager needs to sneak out of the house, so he sets up uh, Ferris Ferris Bueller pillows under the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's like, hey, just set up a hay boy, a hay boy. Yeah, you know. And then his (laughs) father knows, like a hay boy, really. Yeah, I mean, it's clearly like in this world that's a thing. Just comes back later in the film in a beautiful way. It does. Yeah. 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 Well, and also it sets up this weird alternate wor- alternate world where accordion music is incredibly popular. There's this scene with the party where they're talking about, you know, uh, 
uh, Myron Florin from the Lawrence Welk show is a little too overexposed. I prefer, yeah. uh, and I couldn't even tell you the person. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, but both uh, both popular and seen as dangerous by some. You know, the, the, the father certainly. Right. Uh, That's the, if you lewd cons- behavior. Yeah, if you consider the title track of Weird Al's third album, Dare to be Stupid, I'd like to read a bit from the song. Okay. Dare to be stupid. Come on and dare to be stupid. It's so easy to do. Dare to be stupid. We're all waiting for you. Let's go. This film succeeds when the audience member has that attitude. Let's Because right. let, the filmmaker certainly did. The team about this said, let's just make a stupid well, movie. A la Airplane. I'm not putting it at the yeah. airplane level. But f- physical jokes, puns, just nonstop, nonstop. Um, irony. Yeah. Uh, the idea that the accordion is the you know is the same as a, uh, right. a searing guitar in a, in a rock band, and if the audience can allow themselves to just say this is stupid and I'm gonna dare to be stupid along with it, yeah, it was so much fun. It, it was beautifully wholesome, and, and I think that that's exactly what Weird Al would have set out to do because he seems to be that kind of guy. Yeah, and I and I think you know. It, you're right, Joe. That there is a lot of just silliness, zaniness. I, I will hesitate to call it stupid, though. I'm sure Al would be happy to, to call it stupid um, because I think there's a lot of smarts there oh, too course. in yeah. making these jokes and being able, you know, like in in those Zucker Brother films, in those uh, you know, the, the Naked Gun, Airplane, what like you have to be pretty smart to be able to pull these things together and to and to kind of make these kind of jokes on on that kind of basis. But that said. There is a seriousness of purpose, especially in some of the performances in the film. I would, you know, highlight uh, for listeners the uh, the performances of the parents. Right, Toby Huss uh, is playing the father, Nick Yankovic, and Julianne Nicholson as Mary Yankovic, mm-hmm. who, you know, they're there early in the film and they come back a bit later because he has this tortured relationship and he tries to reconnect with them and all that. Um, but they both play it to the hill and they're not known as like zany comedian uh no actors you know they're they're pretty straight it works better when those kinds of characters play it straight right and and i would add to that daniel radcliffe right i mean i i think this film is is made or broken on that central performance this person who's performing the weird al role and is he doing it you know is he doing it in a way that it seems like oh this is all just a goof and what and he doesn't. That's the thing. Right. It it is a goofy movie. There's lots of silliness. There's lots of irony. There's lots of just over the top, exaggerated humor going on. But always at its center is this very committed portrayal of Weird Al, which, you know, it was a lot of fun to see Daniel Radcliffe do. And and I think you know, just in this past year, having seen him. Um, for us, seeing him in Swiss Army Man, because we watched that alongside uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. Right. And also seeing him in The Lost City, playing that sort of villain character, also for, for humor, but but playing it to the hilt. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gained a ton of respect. I mean, in the past, maybe I would have thought more, oh, Daniel Radcliffe, he was a great Harry Potter, you know, the, the great child actor who, who kind of became a young adult actor. The, the performance, uh, the performances I have been seeing out of him in the past year, really have put him into a different category for me. Where I'm kind of like, you know, becoming a Daniel Radcliffe stan or something. Where I think I'm going to go see whatever he puts out from now on because I think he picks interesting projects and he really commits to it and d- does them well. 
Uh, I thought he was really good in it too. I mean, obviously it's, it's hilarious to see him in this type of role. Um, I think they made uh, a lot was made about the fact that he's uh, very like surprisingly muscular. <laughs> yeah. Shirtless scenes. Yeah. And, se- um, and several times covered in oil. Right. Right. Um, you know, as far as the performances across the board, I, I think, you know, everybody really did really well. I, I also really liked uh, Evan Rachel Woods impersonation oh, yeah. of Madonna. I, I felt like somehow she really nailed the voice. And, and I guess I never thought of her as having, um, I, I don't know, all of a sudden I really could hear, she sounded exactly like Madonna did back in the day, uh, you know, from her like speaking cadence and just her accent and everything like that. And although one thing I did notice in a couple, cause I did actually, I think I shared with y'all that I watched it twice. And something yeah. I noticed is that some of the performances later on in the movie, they just sort of dropped the imitation a few times. Like she did, uh, Jack Black did as well. I thought he did great as Wolfman Jack, but like later in that scene, he's not doing the, hey, you know, that Wolfman yeah, Jack yeah. voice. Just I don't Jack know if that Black. was intentional or not. Yeah, well, may- may- maybe, once you've funny. Es- maybe once you've established the impression, the pressure's off, you don't have to maintain it the same way. Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say some of the performances, you know, we talked about the pool scene was almost like a, it's kind of like a Halloween costume that some of them were doing. Sure. And, you know, when you dress up, you know, you're in character for the first 15 minutes and then, you know, you kind of break character after a while yeah. and you're just, you know, a vampire having a beer at a, at a Halloween party. <laughs> well, it sounds like- I thought it was, uh, um, no, I thought I, I'd like to see Radcliffe do more uh, comedic stuff like this. I think, it, I think he's got a, um, a gift for it for sure. Well, it, yeah. so- it sounds like we all liked it. Uh, and, Probably, I hope, I imagine you agree with me. It, it is a specific model of comedy, and you're gonna enjoy that or maybe not. And, right. You know. So, uh, yeah, great, cool. Well, I feel like before we, we move off and maybe just address how we felt about the beer yesterday, mm-hmm. we should say a little something about maybe what our favorite Weird Al song was. Oh, of all time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd be glad to go first. Sure. I remember as a young formative man, without a lot of exposure to rock and roll music, I was always a... God, I sounded so stupid just then. <laughs> without a lot of exposure to rock and roll. No, but, but without knowing who the Beatles were quite yet, 11, 12 years old, yeah. I didn't have parents that played those albums at the house. Uh, I was always fond of, and when I began researching the movie by listening to as many Weird Al Yankovic albums in order from the beginning to as far as I could get on most of the albums, not all of them. He includes a polka medley of old rock songs on weird Al in 3d. I think he, it's all rolling stones, you know, but the first one was in a God of and Hey Jude. And I could go on and on, but I didn't even know I was listening to some classic, you know, Mount Rushmore rock right, song. When you heard it back in the day, it was just, oh, this it is was just Weird Al putting all these songs p- together. Strange yeah, sentences right. in some kind of order with music changes. 
I, I'm a, a big fan of those. That might be a cheat, but that's what I'm going to go and with. And just, just to give you a little context, this blew my mind a few years ago when I realized it was, like, that was a thing. Not just Weird Al. In fact, there were straight versions of that where there were these acts that would put together these medleys of popular hits of the day. Oh, wow. And they were actually on the Billboard. I mean, like, if you listen to, which I do sometimes, like, old... Uh, Casey Kasem. Uh, God, you're a weird guy. America's no wonder 40. you like. No wonder you love this movie. I am a weird guy. Uh, th- that in the like late seventies, early eighties, those were some of the high charting singles of that era. Were these medleys that would put That's together funny. all these songs? Now Al was obviously doing kind of a parody version of it, where he's polka fying a lot, right. <laughs> a lot of them, putting yeah. an accordion yeah. on it, which I, wasn't happening on he, those. He, Lynn Manuel Miranda appears in the film as the surgeon that becomes the the inspiration uh, for like yeah, a surgeon yeah. um they they just partnered up to do a five minute s- version of 14 different hamilton songs yeah. in this polka form yeah, yeah and if you know hamilton at all it's a fun thing to listen to yeah yeah, yeah. it's only five minutes it, it's very very fast very compressed the, right or at least the version i heard yeah uh, but it's hilarious yeah it's, it's really good sean do you have a favorite weird al song you know, um, I like. Uh, I think I mentioned both to both of you off air. I when I was doing the research, I went back and listened to some of the early stuff. Some of it, you know, it turned out I was more familiar than I thought. Uh, but one, one of the funnier ones to me is, and I, I keep it's stuck in my head. Uh, it's it's become an earworm. Is I want a new duck, which is <laughs> the. Um, you know, parody of Huey Lewis's I Want a New Drug. And it's just silly. It's just, you know, I want a new duck, one that'll keep his room clean. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? And I, I was listening to it. I was on a walk the other day with my headphones on listening to it. It's just like actually cracking up to it, yeah. you know, out in public, like <laughs> listening to uh, the 35-year-old hit I Want a New Duck. Yeah. That's 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 great. Um, you know, for me, I think if if I'm gonna go, it's so tough to pick a song, but I think the one that I find most impressive and that sort of now knowing what I do, I have even greater appreciation for than I did when I was younger is Dare to be Stupid. You referenced it mm-hmm. earlier in the episode here, um, it, which is not a straight song parody, but more of a style parody, mm-hmm. taking on the band Devo, who had some success in the early 80s that whip it was sure. a, uh you know like a top 40 single uh, whip it would be ripe for weird al's work you could you yeah. think so but but instead of doing that al created a song that has a lot of the same kind of instrumentation and the the sorts of rhythms and even some of the lyrical gestures that a devo song might have and then the video of course uh with a lot of imagery that's devo-esque so to me, hearing something like that now that I have more appreciation for Devo as a band, when I was a kid, I probably had a passing familiarity with Whip It, but didn't realize this was a style parody of that whole band's you know catalog to that point. But uh, but knowing that now, it, it's it's really an impressive song, and, and it's one that I love whenever I hear it. So. My favorite part of Dare to be Stupid at the end, when he's saying Dare to be Stupid over and over yeah. again. Dare to be stupid, I can't hear you. Yeah. Dare to be stupid, okay, I can hear you now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just little touches yeah. like that make me laugh, that's and those right. little touches are scattered all throughout the film. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so this uh, campanology, really made by Octopi Brewing for Trader Joe's. Yeah. Uh, the first question I asked you after we finished it, David, was for $4, would you buy this again? 
And, and I think my response was probably not. Uh, it, it wasn't a terrible drinking experience, but I found it to be a little more bitter than I wanted it to be. Um, it, it, the aroma had been there, but then the actual flavor just wasn't as robust as I, as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. There was more of a bitterness to it. I, I just I didn't end up feeling fully satisfied by it. That said... I don't think it's a bad beer. It right. wasn't a drain pour. Yeah, I think a lot of people will really enjoy this. Uh, but to me, you say bitter. I say cloyingly sweet. I like those peanut butter cup um, fruit that, that, where they air on the subtle side. Probably not a smoothie. That's going to be a different story. But for a, a stout, I'm sorry, a porter, I want it to be subtle, not hammering me over the head. And by the time I was... Halfway through my serving, it, I was like, I'm, I'm sweeted out on this thing. It's yeah. interesting that you and I had yeah, we, di- different... Yeah, we did have a difference of opinion, but neither of us really loved it. No, no. Um, and that it sold out, I mean, who are we? Like, who knows? <laughs> Sean, the chocolate babka I don't think is your kind of style. That's not the kind of beer, a chocolate babka stout that you're going to grab anytime you go to a nice craft bar. Probably not. Um, it's... I. I like a good stout. Um, I don't really like, um, I guess this would be an imperial stout, just given the, the ABV. Yeah. Um, it, for some reason, that just doesn't really work for me. I, it's, it's, a little, it's, it's a little too much of everything. Um, and it's, it, at the end of the day, it's just a little bit too sweet for me. I like a little bit more, um, less sweet, a little more, uh, actually probably would have liked a little bit of bitterness uh, yeah. in this one if I had, uh, detected in that one um you know it it was drinkable and i was able uh i like the term sink pour it definitely wasn't that (laughs) but um i would i would have to split it with somebody uh being a bomber um and it would be um you know a decent little dessert beer but other than that i probably wouldn't go out of my way to get it yeah yeah so it sounds unanimous that we're saying folks Get your eyeballs too weird. The Al Yankovic story. Mm-hmm. Have a good time. It's available through the Roku website. Right. You know, if if you're not a subscriber, you don't have to have the Roku device or something. You can watch this wherever you. Although you do have to put up with commercials. We yeah, didn't talk about that yesterday. We should talk that about that little, in after hours. Maybe after hours. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, but maybe don't rush to Trader Joe's to get their desserts out <laughs> beers. But you know, hey, you make your own decisions, folks. And uh, you know, you just use us as guides. Um, and we're going to keep guiding you in the second half of this episode uh, when we take on another kind of musical, historical film, but not necessarily a biopic, um, at, at least not in as straight a sense as weird purports to be, um, but rather one that takes on kind of a scene and a moment in time and, uh, and some of the players involved with that uh, when we return. my weird owl version <laughs> I'll, I'll let you have parody of your own show there yeah. you go um, we are kind of whack though uh yeah w- well we're whack and we're here to drink and talk about another film 
And what we did when we actually recorded the first version of this episode is Joe and I cracked a couple cans of a beer from Eureka Heights. I remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah. This is a brewery out of Houston, which I had not had before. First time on the show. Going up to Houston recently and had this on draft at a bar and decided that it was so tasty that if I saw some cans available... Um, at a shop, I would bring it back with me, and indeed, that's what I did. So I brought back those mini boss cans. It was, um, geez, I should have looked this up. Six point eight percent. That I sounds think. right. Yeah, and it, IPA, Citra and Mosaic hops. We like those. Um, when it poured, it poured nice and uh, you know, sort of translucent. It wasn't a hazy. No. And it had a nice. Uh, sort of fruity, aromatic head. It says fruity right on the can, and that was truth in advertising. Yeah. Very, very fruity, beautiful transparency. I was really excited about... God, I wish we had another one. Yeah, All right. right. Well, so that, that's what we were going to be drinking for that half. And we told Sean, go, go grab it. You live in Houston. That's easy to do. And this mother... Yeah, I, I failed the assignment. I... Uh... I was actually, for our original recording, was in San Antonio, which is not a good town to try to buy Houston beers, and they didn't have it on hand, and I'd left mine back uh, back of the house. So uh, I grabbed, in a pinch, I grabbed um, a variation of a beer that I do like, um, uh, a Martin House beer out of, uh, out of Fort Worth. Uh, they, they have a beer called the Salty Lady which is a, um, a, a ghost. Uh, this is the, uh, the green apple salty lady. So it had uh, additional uh, similar flavor profile to the salty lady, although it's, it's listed on the can as a fruited sour, not as a ghost. Right. And I think, and I'll probably butcher this, but I think uh, all ghosts are considered sours, but not all sours are ghosts. It's the right. there you go. the right. the adding of uh, coriander and and Salt. some salinity. Yeah. 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 Um, so it, yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I grabbed. Uh, got a uh, a tall boy of that, and and uh, tried that one out. We have had Martin House six times on the program, but we have not had either of these Salty Lady variants. No, we we haven't. And I remember you being a little bit skeptical of, of some of the, because it was artificial flavors were listed. It right, was, it said natural and artificial flavor. Yeah. And, you know, green apples, it, you know, it exists in nature, but that flavor, that Jolly Rancher flavor, does not bear, <laughs> anything that comes out of nature at all. So right. I'm not... Yeah, I was a little skeptical. How how could they re- recreate that in a natural way? And, yeah. and the answer is they didn't. <laughs> right. Well, it, recreating a, a music movement in, in a natural way on film is maybe a tall order, but I don't even know if this film tries to do that. Sean, what, what is the film that we're talking about here? Yeah, we asked you to progr- to help us program this Weird Al episode, and you came up with this idea, and it was a great one. Well, thanks. So uh, the movie's 24-Hour Party People, and... The reason I thought this could be a good pairing is be, just like Weird is a parody of a biopic. You could see it from the trailer. This this movie acknowledges within the movie that while it's based in fact, there are many things that have been exaggerated uh, that, that didn't actually occur. Um, and it's also... Well, let me tell you what the movie's about. It's not about a specific person. It covers 
the Manchester music scene from roughly 1976 to the early 90s. Um, specifically, uh, many of the artists that were on Factory Records, so Joy Division, which uh, eventually became New Order, uh, The Happy Mondays, um, To Column, uh, Certain Ratio, a number, number of other bands. Um, it's told through um, Tony Wilson, who was a TV presenter uh, in Manchester, who ultimately started with several others, the uh, both the Factory rec Record label and uh, the Hacienda, um, eventually, which was a, uh, a huge club in the Manchester scene where all these bands played. And it it's done in a, uh, often in a first person style where um, Tony Wilson, who's played by Steve Coogan, is talking to the viewer and describing not only what's about to happen, but, but sometimes comments on its, its authenticity. So I thought it was kind of interesting because at the end of the day, any music biopic, I mean, any kind of biopic, really, there's going to be some, some artificial moments in it. There's going to be things that are legend that probably didn't exactly happen that way. Um, and the, both of these movies really acknowledge that openly in a way that, you know, a movie like um, Elvis or Walk the Line or some of the others probably don't. Right. Um, so and this is, uh, it's also just uh, a favorite of mine. Uh, I saw it in the theaters when it came out years ago. And although I'm not as familiar with uh, Michael Winterbottom's other filmography, it's it's a movie that I probably watch once or once every year or two uh, easily, just because it's um, it centers around a, a musical movement that I was very interested in at the time. Um, these are bands, I mean, I, my introduction to these bands were in 86, 87 to uh, New Order first, and then learned who Joy Division was, and retroactively got into their back catalog. And it's, it's also a group of bands that I really didn't know anything about their, their personal stories or anything like that, um, because they were purposefully somewhat mysterious. I mean, Joy Division had their, their first album, Unknown Pleasures, had nothing on it. it it was just that iconic uh symbol that uh everybody, everybody has a t-shirt of that now it's the yeah. all black background with uh, it looks like a um uh oh what am i trying to describe like a lie detector test or a right, uh, right. heart monitor or something yeah. like that uh there's and there's different versions of what it actually came from and what it means and everything like that but that's all you had to go on back then you know yeah. in the mid the early uh, late seventies, mid eighties. I mean, really through the nineties, you, you know, there, we didn't have the internet. We didn't have long form podcasts where the people were being interviewed. Didn't you go so down to the Corpus? Really fascinating. Didn't you go to the Corpus Christi library to look up joy division on the, in the card catalog? On, on microfiche. I looked yeah. It up. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I, I, no, I had, to, <laughs> I, I, in fact, I had to go out of town just to get some of the music yeah, times, yeah. uh, to other places. Cause we couldn't even get everything, you know, in a, uh, it's not a small town, but a smaller town, 300,000 people yeah. about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You didn't have, uh, it, a lot of the music had to be imported and it was not available. Yeah. Was, uh, Camelot music. 
It's uh, still the case that the audience, the segmented audience in Corpus Christi, sometimes doesn't lend itself to um, to certain genres. Certain that's right. Artists. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, you're right. You're recalling an era that this is a bit of an aside, but I, I was the same way when I was young and I was getting into music, and you know, I was searching desperately for more information about these artists and had like looking for interviews in magazines and scouring, you know, the newsstands for for anything that came out. I didn't have you know, an internet search engine that would allow me to just conjure up a Wikipedia page that would have all this stuff. So Every song at your fingertips. Yeah, I mean, it, it was right. a, a different way of connecting with music and, and whatnot. But w- which makes a movie like this where you're kind of seeing an era depicted that didn't have that exhaustive coverage at the time all the more interesting. I sure. Think. Um, and I was so glad you picked it because th- this is a film that I have really loved since I, I first saw it back uh, shortly after it was released. I saw it in theaters the first time. Um, and it was my introduction to a lot of things because I, you know, being a, a little bit past you guys in terms of when I started getting into music, you know, Joy Division, New Order, those were things I came to much later. It was probably around the time I was seeing this film that I was really getting to appreciate them mm-hmm. properly. I maybe knew a few songs here at Level Terrace Apart. I'm sure it made a, its way onto a mix in high school or something. But n- nonetheless, this Did was that a, mix make it its way into a, a lady's tape player? Maybe. Mm. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe the lady I live with you these scoundrel. days. scoundrel. <laughs> um, but, but you have, uh, you know, these bands that I was becoming aware of that I wanted to learn more about. Y- you had these British... Um, performers and the filmmaker himself, Michael Winterbottom, you already mentioned, this was probably the first of his films that I really took note of and thought, oh, this is interesting. And it it did actually inspire me to follow up and see some of his other work, which um, maybe after hours we can talk about some. But uh, nonetheless, he has some other great films in his filmography. Um, Steve Coogan, as a comedian and a a figure here, he's the, you know, sort of lead here playing Tony Wilson, who's kind of at the center of this whole Manchester scene that's being depicted um, who's a bit of a successful failure or a failing success. Yeah, it depends on how you think about it. Well, he has it, the know. responsibility of signing on a, a couple of bands, certainly, that I'm very, very fond of, in a, but having to navigate a time where this is all brand new. This yeah. style of music is all brand new. Pretend like you haven't heard this before. Hey, whenever he goes and sees the Sex Pistols play at the very beginning of the film for 42, 48 people, something like that, they're interspersing actual footage from that same concert, right? They sure do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which is another trick that this film does. I I bring it up again because it's so striking in the movie. Rather than creating this alternate reality fully where you have these actors portraying these characters, there are times where the film will intersperse footage of the actual concert that you're talking about, the Sex Pistols concert right there, Um, rather than just have the actors in whatever, 2002 when it's being shot, Mm -hmm. portraying those those characters. So they they kind of mix and match um, certain elements. And, um, you know, even taking that further, they bring in some of the people who are being portrayed by actors uh-huh. to play other kind of small cameo bit, bit pair, like extras that, that's uh, oftentimes break the fourth wall yeah which right you know if, if you know the scene and you know some of these people you're going to pick up as you're watching the film but you know what even if you don't you're going to get a handy guide later in the film when steve coogan as tony wilson breaks the fourth wall and announces to you all the different people who have shown up in different roles throughout mm-hmm. the film including vinnie riley from derudy column howard devoto from the buzzcocks perhaps pointing to one of the most 
you know, fun scenes in the film to me where in the aftermath of Wilson having cheated on his wife, like he goes behind the club and the club promoter, um, you know, brings him to a van and he has a couple, a couple. prostitutes ready to go. Yeah. Um, so, you know. He's, and he just jumps in with a wife in the club. In the club, right. She comes out looking for him. Finds him right. in the act, and he's like, "Oh, this does this isn't what it seems like." <laughs> it's, it's exactly. What it's it very seems clearly like. what it seems. Like. I, I, she's walking away. I love you. I love you. The door closes, and as the door's closing, he's like, "Okay, finish me off, your love." <laughs> it's excess that would have been, I think, um, in, in the orbit of this kind of crazy rock and yeah. roll lifestyle. Yeah. Um, you know, in the follow-up to that being, well, of course, you know, uh, Shirley Henderson playing his, his then-wife goes back into the club, finds a guy, brings him to the restroom, and starts fornicating with him. Fornicating? Yeah. Sexy. <laughs> and Wilson then goes and finds him, uh, finds them, and, you know, kind of confronts her and makes the point that, well, his was only oral sex, so, you know, it's not as bad of a transgression. And right. It, Funny scene in itself, but as he's walking out of the restroom, the custodian he passes by mentions that, oh, that actually happens to be Howard DeVoto, the guy who she is having, from the Buzzcocks, who she is did have sex, sex with. in the movie. Though Howard DeVoto, playing the custodian, says, I, I don't remember it that way. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. So, but, you know, but, but what does that speak to, the, the, Sean, the idea that we're watching things that we're not supposed to take as fact because all of the bands did play and were signed and, you know, the... Well, I think, uh, David, you said it, it, it's, a, uh, it's a quote, and I think he even... Uh, uh, Tony Wilson gets the quote wrong in it. Uh, John Ford says that um, when it comes down between truth and legend, print yeah. the legend. Right. I mean, the legends are more fun. They're funny. I mean, you want yeah. to, you want, there's, um, there's a moment in kind of a weird parallel to, to weird where when they're recording unknown pleasures, um, Martin Hammett, who's the producer and very obsessive in his behavior, um, hears a rattle in, in the, uh, the drum kit. Yeah. And he disassembles it and reassembles it on the roof of the building. And, and the funny scene is that, they leave uh, uh, Stephen Morris, the drummer, playing. He says, "I'll come tell you when to stop." But he just leaves. <laughs> the <scope. laughs> yeah, everybody leaves, and he and they cut to him still playing. Yeah. Well, I believe that he did it where he took it onto the roof. I don't believe that he was left there for many hours just playing. Right. right. You know the same same riff from uh, "She's Lost Control," and but it's fun to think that he did. Yeah. Um, it similar thing in going back to weird. I, I had to look this up because sometimes weird factual things will bother me in in uh, biographical movies where I have to know if that really happened that way. And apparently, they did record "Eat It" in uh, not "Eat It." Um, my Bologna. Uh, my Bologna in a a, a restroom because I saw of, that, yeah. it was the only place they they had and the acoustics were right and that. It just seems absurd. I thought it was just a throwaway gag line to say, "Hey, the acoustics at the bus station are pretty good." Right. But uh, but I think I think the point is that the legend is usually more fun, whatever the case yeah. it is. I mean, e even if it has stars, yeah, even if it has some basis in the truth, right? Like you, right. you know, th this this gig did actually happen. There was cheating involved. 
but it didn't happen to be this guy, you know. But but it's right. more fun if you think it is the Buzzcocks guy, who you know, who's who's with her. Yeah, and it probably wasn't as funny as it is to us. Is it? I mean, it's portrayed sure. as being very hilarious in that scene. It probably wasn't. Real life, no, they but... were probably screaming at each other, and yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tony Wilson is a very interesting character. The way he's portrayed, and I've looked him up uh on some of his old shows that he did the uh it's it's documented in the movie that so it goes a local uh music show that he did he's definitely steve coogan's definitely playing a very heightened version of tony wilson he seems a little bit more low-key but he's portrayed as being his own worst enemy in many cases kind of sabotaging his own business interests in in the need for artistic purity but he's also very self-aware of that. You know, there's the scene where they're selling, uh, they're trying to sell uh, the label to London Records. Yeah. And he has nothing to sell because he doesn't own any of it. The, <laughs> the bands, he wrote in blood that the bands own their own their own work. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, terrible businessman, mm -hmm. um, great uh innovator or, or 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 somebody who could see the future of where where music was going right and could understand that these bands that were pushing the bounds of what was acceptable right then were actually on the precipice of being some of the biggest acts yeah. of their time so you know clearly a guy who was gifted in certain ways but one of them was not having good business sense no he uh, started a nightclub which was like the studio 54 right. of its day the hacienda in uh, manchester because his goal was not just to get this band's music out of the world but to make the city that he lives in to be more of a cultural hub for the kinds of things that he's interested in yeah and i very much have that attitude david i know that you very much have that attitude yeah. so that when my good friend sean comes down to corpus next time and we all go out for a beer we We've got better beers to go enjoy. Yeah, yeah. The promotion of those things is one thing. Turning it into a money-making operation is a completely right. different thing. Right. Um, right. So he's got this club that becomes the the basically the birth of the rave because of the massive amounts of ecstasy that are being peddled through it. But what that the way that it hurts Tony is that no one's buying alcohol; they're all high on ecstasy. <laughs> right. So his only right. ability to make money at the club gets undercut by the vibe that he's happy to have there. Right. Right. Yeah. He he's in, but he really is devoted more to the scene and to the moment yeah. and to the art than he is, you know, this idea that he's going to die rich and ha and have all this uh, right, you know, right, wealth or right. something. Um, which is you know, when this film was made, he was still alive. He appears in the film, uh, you know, right. in, in, a, in a small part as a director when the, they're they're doing a television um, uh, program there. Right. Uh, to, uh, apparently, Tony Wilson was. For some period of time the host of wheel of fortune right. in the uk edition and on his i guess it was his debut show he goes on this long monologue about philosophical uh, the wheel yeah. of chance very philosophical very i mean very much a blowhard so, and you so cut to way the real tony your, wilson yeah yeah <laughs> the, the real tony wilson's in the in the uh recording booth just saying just just say, cut it down to welcome to Wheel of Fortune and just <laughs> cut to the contestants, cut all that out. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's kind of great that they have, you know, all these figures involved. Now, he died just a few years after that, actually, kind of, you know, younger than, than he probably should have. Um, but nonetheless, got to be involved with this, see this version of him. I mean, 
I think Coogan does an outstanding job. And, and yeah. as I said earlier, this really sort of cemented him in my mind as somebody who I wanted to see do more things mm-hmm. and then had me seek out his BBC series where he plays the Alan Partridge character. There have been several, um, you know, other th- films that he's done with Winterbottom since this one. The Tristram Shandy film was great. You said we'll talk about it on After Hours, but I, I, Sean and I were talking offline Commenting that I had seen one other Winterbottom film. Yeah, Sean had seen no others. Yeah, where where do you go from here? What is the kind of primer? Right, he's you know he has such range. I guess is is the thing that I I would want to make people aware of because any other film that I send you to from this is going to be different than this film most likely. I mean, other than Tristram Shandy, if you wanted a film that was as closely aligned with this film Tristram as you possibly could. Would be, which I think it actually, the, the main title is A Cock and Bull Story, which was the subtitle uh, of the God, that sounds so novel it's based familiar, on. Yeah. But um, nonetheless, it has some of that postmodern sensibility to it. He's breaking the fourth wall as his character. There's some of that stuff going on. Um, that's probably as close in terms of style that you're going to get. But I think a film that came out right before this one called The Claim is quite excellent. That has... Um, we we reviewed on the podcast not that long ago McCabe and Mrs Miller. Mm-hmm. It is very much indebted to McCabe and Mrs oh, Miller. I, I think love anybody that movie. who likes that kind of like a revisionist western of sorts, if you like that flavor, go with that. Um, In this world was a great film he did about an immigrant journey mm-hmm. to um, the UK from the Middle East. There's uh, oh geez I'm trying to think there, there's a couple others that that I would certainly oh, welcome to Sarajevo war film take but. Just you almost can't go wrong. I've never seen a bad one of his films, uh, and he and he tends to just take on interesting projects. So I, you know, I've I've fallen out of tracking him as closely as I did probably in the two thousands. Once the twenty tens hit, I can't think of a whole lot that I've seen of his. But now seeing this again, it's it's reinvigorated. Reminding me I need to check out what what he's working on because he always picks good projects. Sean, what a fantastic pairing. Thank you. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think when it comes to films about music that can expose people to a scene, uh, I can think of no better. This is a scene that I want people to know about and and to enjoy. And if that, uh, you know, if this is the entry point for people, like it was for me in a way, Mm -hmm. I think that's exciting. So, so, so go, go check this out. If you haven't, Um, you know, the beers that we had yesterday in the second half, um, at least on the the side here with Joe and myself drinking the mini boss from Eureka Heights, yeah, big success. Yeah, the uh, the washed the terrible taste of failure of that uh, peanut butter first one, coffee yeah. beer, uh, very much so. Like I said earlier, the can says it's a fruity experience, and it is, but it's uh, an IPA in the sense of the hops, but not like a fruit added. It's no, a, no, 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 just through the hop profile. Oh, exactly. Yeah. It's it's so deliciously hoppy and hops are uh, hops aren't a fruit though are they hops are a grain are they considered a grain oh geez joe why'd you have to go down this road I, a, I don't know it's not a fruit for sure yeah so yeah. It, but, but it's got these essence flavors yeah. right and so this one was uh, a good hoppy ipa I, that I haven't had in a really long time yeah. while you talk i'm gonna look it up edible flower um so yeah th- th- i i enjoyed it a lot like i said i i Picked up the cans because I had had a good experience with it on draft. Really enjoyed it then. 
Um, so I, w- I was excited that it was just as much fun out of the can, and we, we both really enjoyed that one. If you're in the Houston area, uh, do not hesitate. Pick yourself up some Mini Boss, and I would say maybe try some other Eureka Heights brews. I know, Sean, you had said that you've even had some of their other stuff, right? I have. I've had the, I've had the Mini Boss before, and I've had the Buckle Bunny, and the names of some of the others are escaping me right now, but they've, uh, they've put out some pretty good stuff. Nice. Uh, that, that I've had a chance to try. And and now, if you can recall for us how you felt about that green apple salty lady yesterday? I, you know, I would say it's fine. I, I prefer the original salty. Uh, they seem to have a uh, variation, uh, many variations out there, uh, seasonal variations. Um, I probably, I, I might, I would drink it again. I, I think I'd pick up the original though given yeah. the choice. Yeah. And we should do that one on the show sometime. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Maybe next time Sean comes on. Yeah. Uh, and of course, as I said earlier, a hop is a flower, David, not a fruit there or a go. grain. There we go. Okay. So Sean, Sean, do you mind if I tell you a couple of things? First of all, thanks for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Well, thanks for having me. But uh, Sean, I, I'm just going to tell you a couple of things. Maybe you didn't know that the best thing about beer and movie is that the conversation does not end here. Sean, did you know that you can find us all over social media, from Facebook, of course, to Instagram, uh, our Discord server, of which you recently joined. I was happy to see you there. Yes, I'll I'll try to start posting more obsessively there. (laughs) Please. And then uh, the conversation's not going to end now because we are going to go after hours. That's your ability to support us with a little bit of dough, but also receive a weekly bonus episode every Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning. David, you're so good at getting those up on time. Try to. Sign up at patreon.com slash beer and a movie podcast. I've invited you, Sean. We want you to join us at After Hours. We had a conversation in After Hours yesterday, and I move that we don't talk about any of that and have a well, different we'll After I'm Hours a, all. Force you. We'll find out. Okay, we'll see yeah. what happens. Um, but I can you... agree to those terms. <laughs> hey, Sean, you've just experienced another frighteningly new... Uh, frighteningly new you don't have to use frighteningly you yeah can that, say weirdly strangely new <laughs> you have just experienced another weird new episode of beer in a movie until next time life is like a parody of your favorite song just when you think you know all the words surprise you don't know anything <laughs>